Hello and welcome to DNV Market Views, our brand new videocast. My name is Jakub Valenkiewicz and I'm a principal market analyst at DNV. Each quarter, we will bring you the latest views on the shipping markets and also speak to some of the key voices from the maritime sector. In our first episode, A Year of Swinging Fortunes, I'm delighted to be joined by Steve Gordon, Managing Director of Clarkson's Research. There are few better people to discuss the shipping markets than my guest, so today we will be leaning into Steve's knowledge to get his thoughts and expectations for the coming year. Before Steve joins us, let us quickly run over the current state of affairs concerning both shipping and the world economy. Because without a shadow of a doubt, we live in exciting times. Just as we turned the corner after the COVID pandemic, we walked right into a massive geopolitical turmoil energy crisis and growing economic uncertainty. But bearing in mind all those headwinds, the shipping industry, well, at least so far, has dealt with this complex environment remarkably well. However, the economic picture is rapidly changing and we observe considerable sentiment shifts. So let's start with the world economy and the recently most abused word, inflation. Maybe we have lived in denial for too long, but in my view, it is like talking about yesterday's news. Yes, indeed, we have the highest inflation in four decades, but there is very little we can do to stop it. It is entirely in the hands of central banks, which use the only tool they have, raising interest rates. They were very reluctant to begin that process, but for the past year, we've witnessed very hawkish attitudes from many central banks. Most notably, the Fed currently at 4.5% and ECB at 2.5%, both pledging further hikes. High interest rates aim to cool down the economy by incentivizing deposits and discouraging investments. Such a process decreases the demand, subsequently creating recessionary pressures, manifesting through debt defaults, restructuring, or even bankruptcies. Look what happened to Silicon Valley Bank. It could be one of the examples. It ultimately leads to increased unemployment, which then leads to a lower inflation. But it is not the first time happening, just open any economy book is all there. So what should we focus on instead if we want to tune our strategies for more challenging times ahead? Well, rather than inflation, it will certainly be more beneficial to address the debt, liquidity and credit risks. In the high interest rates reality, debt servicing is far more expensive. It is wise to assess your exposure and ensure that you're not over leveraged. Compared to the global financial crisis in 2008, the shipping industry in general is in far better debt position. However, it needs to be assessed on an individual basis. More expensive debt automatically requires higher liquidity. It is instrumental that a company generates enough liquidity nowadays and, more importantly, can generate enough liquidity in the less favorable economic environment surely ahead of us in the future. Finally, the credit risk and access to capital. Even if you don't have problems with debt or liquidity, what if you want to invest? Decarbonization, energy efficiency, fleet renewal, none of the above comes cheap. Will you be able to extend your credit line? Will you be able to access capital through equity or debt markets? These are, in my opinion, questions we should be asking ourselves while facing economic headwinds. Speaking of the world economy, let us look at the GDP and seabond trade figures. At the beginning of 2022, IMF predicted a 
continued post-pandemic recovery pretty much across all economies. At the same time, the seabond trade growth was expected at a healthy 3.5%, with all commodities marking positive gains. Little did we know, the past year proved to be complicated, marked by military conflicts, COVID lockdowns and worsening economic conditions. By the end of the year, the GDP numbers were revised downwards. But the most significant correction was observed in the seabond trade, which shrank by 0.3% instead of growing. Since it represents over 80% of the entire world trade, it is a powerful indicator of the state of the world economy. As you can see from the more detailed chart, the most notable corrections were in the dry bulk and containerized sectors. Heavily adjusted iron ore and minor bulk shipments indicate challenges in the Chinese economy, whereas considerably lower volumes of grain carried at sea are obviously due to the conflict in Ukraine. The containerized cargo, shrinking by nearly 3% instead of growing by 4%, as previously anticipated, is probably the most prominent example of increasingly more challenging economic conditions. The GDP forecast for the current year is relatively modest, with some regions like Europe narrowly escaping recessions. At the same time, Clarkson's research is currently projecting the seabond trade to grow by 1.6%, with all trades marking positive growth, except for the containerized cargo, which is expected to decline again by minus 0.7% in 2023. It is essential to mention that the seabond trade measured in the ton miles is likely to grow much more robust due to current sanctions on Russia. Sanctions force European buyers to source crude oil, petroleum products, gas or coal in more remote locations. At the same time, Russia is forced to redirect its exports too. In almost every case, it will increase the sail distance, putting more strain on the fleet. It means that some sectors, such as oil tankers, are likely to enjoy excellent returns throughout the year. Regarding earnings, let us examine the sentiment across different maritime segments. Let's just compare the average TC rates achieved in February versus those fetched throughout the last year. And it is worth noting that the past year in general was excellent in terms of earnings. So the Clark C index representing all volume sectors is currently down by 30%, but it's still on a very high level, wandering around $25,000 a day. Both crude and oil product tankers continue to enjoy a broad recovery that started already last year. Earnings are particularly high in the large product tankers. The already mentioned effect of sanctions combined with very modest fleet growth suggests that earnings will likely remain elevated for longer. Bulk carriers' fortunes have changed for the worse, which should not come as a surprise with the weakness of iron ore, minor bulk and grain trades. Nevertheless, the bulk carrier fleet enjoys similar to tankers' favorable fundamentals, relatively slow fleet growth, an exhausted order book, and a possible increased demand looming on the horizon if China starts recovering from the last year's stagnation. The most significant swing of sentiment is undoubtedly observed in the box sectors, where after almost two years of bonanza, earnings started to come back down already in the last quarter of 2022. Today, charter rates have returned to normal levels observed before the COVID pandemic. However, with a weakening demand, further pressure on earnings is very likely. On the flip side, 
generally astronomical profits made in these segments will certainly help to build a solid war chest for the coming years. We see a continued positive development in the gas sector, particularly in the LNG. With Europe stepping up its imports of LNG and Chinese buyers returning to pre-COVID levels of imports, the tonnage balance of available ships will remain tight. Strong earnings also remain in the car carrier segment. The oil and gas offshore segments continue to recover, although somewhat slower. Here we should probably also mention the rapid development of the offshore wind sector, which is particularly hungry for construction tonnage. Well, many ships for such projects will have to be purpose-built. However, it is not unusual that larger PSVs or anchor handlers, especially with a considerable lifting capacity, are hired for the wind projects, thus competing directly with the oil and gas sector, and basically elevating the day rates. Finally, a few words about the shipbuilding markets. The two so-called COVID years were almost like two extremes. Regarding the number of contracts placed in with shipyards in 2020 was one of the weakest on record, whereas 2021 was one of the better years, in at least in the last decade. As you can see, 2022 ended up somewhere in between, with containers and bulk carriers, as well as LNG tankers, being the most active. In tonnage terms, the Chinese shipbuilders took nearly 50% of the market, followed by South Korean yards with over 40%. The overall slowdown in contracting is driven primarily by high new building prices, limited slots availability, and economic uncertainty. However, I will not dwell on it anymore, as it is time to invite Steve Gordon to our discussion, where we will cover all those subjects in great detail. I hope you enjoy it. Steve, thank you so much for joining. What you may not know is our first episode of Market Views. Well, Jakob, it's, uh, it's great to be here and thank you for the invitation. Oh, this is our pleasure. Steve, uh, we are certainly not bored these days and uh, the pandemic made our life interesting and then came the conflict in Ukraine and arguably shipping to a large extent has dealt with those disruptions remarkably well. However, I would like to turn your attention a little bit to the state of the world economy, something we have already discussed several times. Uh, so the question that I like to ask is what economic headwinds in 2023 do you see? In your view, which factors may have particular consequences, not necessarily negative, for shipping and shipbuilding? Yeah, of course. Um, we've certainly had a, a, a very remarkable two or three years for the shipping industry, and these big global disruptive events um, have been incredibly challenging. And I agree with you, Jakob. I think shipping has managed the disruption well. Um, the last 12 months have seen the growth of seaborne trade start to slow quite significantly. We had a quick rebound after COVID and got back to 12 billion tonnes. 85% of trade is seaborne, 1.5 tonnes for every person on the planet. But certainly last year, as those macroeconomic headwinds built and inflation started to build also, we started to see slowing trends. I think there's a couple of important points I would make that are perhaps mitigating factors for the maritime outlook, because normally when the world economy slows, that's incredibly negative for the shipping industry. But I'd like to point out a couple of issues. Firstly, 
there is a divergence between the energy trades, and I think we're still seeing good growth in oil, in gas, in oil products, and indeed in activity around offshore oil and gas and offshore wind. But in markets like the container trade and the bulk carrier trade, we've started to see some contraction of global trade. And so last year, trade stalled at around 12 billion tonnes. I think in terms of the outlook, I'm not perhaps as pessimistic as some economic observers, and certainly in relation to the maritime markets, there's that differentiation between energy trade and perhaps the dry commodities that I've already mentioned. Uh, But we also have the role of China. Uh, China is still shipping's biggest client. It's 24% of all global imports. It's a third of all exports in terms of containers. And we're watching very carefully what happens with container with the Chinese economy as it comes out of its COVID measures and how that supports or doesn't support the shipping industry. So, of course, there are headwinds. It's important to be cautious. It's important to watch these uh, trends very carefully. But I, I do believe that from a shipping perspective, there are some mitigating factors, uh, Jakob. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then and you're sort of pointing to a great complexity of those factors, you know, because it's obviously nobody knows, you know, we're just trying to do our best. But, you know, that exactly that complexity leading me to, some, to something that I think that the current year, the 2023, will be a year of something what I call the swinging fortunes. So we will definitely start seeing, or we already actually observe some of those you know, great shifts of sentiment. And if we just can go quickly over the main volume market. So, but let's start from the tankers. You know, it's definitely tankers suffered a lot through the COVID uh, pandemic. And finally, we had this nice change already happening you know, in the fourth Q of 2022. So what's your take on tankers for 2023? Well, I think we have to start with the impacts of the um, uh, you know, uh, Ukraine-Russian conflict. And that has created a fundamental shift in trading patterns. And let's keep it simple. It's simple geography. We have Russia and Europe next door to each other. And Russia is now exporting longer haul to China and India with its oil and gas. And uh, Europe is importing long haul as well. And that fundamental redistribution of trade flows is creating in particular, a ton-mile element for the tanker market that has been very positive. We also last year saw lots of uncertainty around sanctions, around self-sanctioning, uncertainty about what the policies and guidelines were. And and that disruption created heightened rates. And we saw some incredible rates, particularly in the oil products market last year. So I, I think from our perspective, we see the tanker market having another very positive year. Um, the other point that I should make, and, and actually this flows through into a number of the sectors, we have an incredibly small order book in tankers. It's around 5% of the fleet, Jakob, which is in historical terms, pretty much a 30 year low. We know, and I'm sure we'll talk about this in a moment, that from a shipbuilding perspective, 
most of the berths in the next few years are dominated by containers and LNG. And so we do have visibility on tanker supply that's coming and it's relatively limited. And I think if you throw in some of the potential impacts of environmental regulations, then that gives you a view on the tanker market, which, as I say, I think you can afford to be relatively positive in terms of the outlook this year, Jakob. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And then the fundamentals in, in tankers, you know, hardly looked any better. Absolutely true. And speaking of well-aligned fundamentals, I would say, you know, if we now move on to the dry bulk segment, uh, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think there was a couple of weeks back in trade winds, there was a line where Clarkson's was betting all the money in dry bulk stocks. I'm not sure if it was you saying, but that was definitely Clarkson's in the name. Uh, whether we're going to put all the money in one stock, that's a different story. But, you know, what's your take on the dry bulk segment? Because it's also seemed to be quite positive, at least from the fundamental point of view. Yeah, well, I, I think let's start with some of the challenges because the dry bulk market today is is very weak. Um, it's suffering from some of those economic trends that we saw in the second half of last year. We've got seasonality, which is you know usual um, in terms of the impact, particularly on the Cape size market around this time of year. So the current position is is is, is quite challenging. I think where we move more positively is. Absolutely, the supply side. And again, it's a consistent theme with what we just mentioned on the tankers. I think the order book there is about 7% of the fleet. The capacity, again, is relatively locked in. A couple of statistics for you, Jakob. This year, 45% of all capacity from the shipyards is locked into containers and LNG. That rises to 60% of everything that the shipyards are going to deliver. So again, we have relatively low. Um, I think it's a 25-year low in terms of the bulk carriers. And again, we have this potential impact of the emissions policies. Um, we may touch about on this later in our conversations, but some element of slow steaming as we deal with the, um, I think, very significant step in the decarbonisation pathway that the IMO was introduced at the start of this year through CII and EEXI. Again, I think limitations on the supply side. And when we look at the next few years, like tankers, we're expecting very limited fleet growth. And that always positions your market. It doesn't guarantee you good market, but it always means your markets are well yeah. positioned. I think the other thing on dry is you are absolutely looking to where the world economy will trend this year and absolutely looking to China in particular. I think if you look at China in the past decade, whenever China has looked to put in stimulus to its economy, um, you would also, we've seen in Europe that when COVID measures are relaxed and economies open up, that usually stimulates demand. So I, I think there's a fighting chance that as we go through the year, the demand side of the bulk carrier business, and there's also some ton mile element with Brazilian exports, bauxite, uh, coal, uh, yeah. all quite positive in terms of trends. So I, I think for the dry, it's a question of, you know, hang on in in the short term. And then we have those positive fundamentals on the supply side and also hopefully an improving world economy and very specifically an improving demand side from China. Um, so, yeah, I, I think um, from a balanced perspective, one to watch for the, you know, as the year evolves, uh, Jakob. Yeah. So not all the money just yet to the bulk stock, but we need to sort of like, yeah, especially because, you know, we've both been doing this job pretty much for this two decades or so. And this is the first time when I see a, such a massive contraction in iron ore trades. 
and that tells you everything about particularly now the cave size's weakness but also that spilled over into smaller segments as well so uh, i totally agree with you and i mean hang on for the moment but you know the fundamentals are in place and then eventually we're gonna get there anyway just like we do in shipping and speaking about you know coming off the super cycle now well, let's talk a little bit about container vessels which obviously hardly any news now because it's been going now for a half a year or so but i mean i've heard this once somewhere you know it's like after a party like that you, you should expect a massive hangover right but I I I, suggest, I I think you know. I remember you've you've said you know that the, the container liners managed to do six times more profit they did in the past decade, com, you know, compared to the six quarters or something like that. So, so they they, they massive build a massive war chest to weather those storms, and and they still need to spend this money somehow. So, what is your view on containers in particular? You know, do you see this sort of counter cyclical ordering? Well, it actually did happen in January anyway, so it's already proven. But how do you see that segment going forward? Uh, yeah, I mean, the container market has a remarkable period. I mean, looking back now, uh, Jakob, it seems obvious that instead of us during the COVID period going to restaurants and bars and on holiday, we were ordering goods that needed to be shipped from factory Asia, particularly into the US and European markets. And that added with the congestion piece and congestion uh, is a theme that was very significant in tightening up the markets to those very elevated freight levels. It was exceptional. It was five or six times the pre-COVID levels at, at the peak about 12 months or so ago. You're right. I mean, the markets have corrected. Um, you know, we've got, um, you know, a triple whammy. We've got a slowing world economy and reduced volumes. We've got congestion unwinding. Uh, we, we have some quite interesting statistics on this. Pre-COVID, about 31, 32% of container shipping capacity was in a port or an adjacent anchorage every day. Uh, today, uh, or at, at the peak of the disruption, that was up at 37%. It doesn't sound a lot, but taking 5, 6% in a pure lot. supply demand market like shipping yeah. is enough to, to ping that freight. Yeah. We're now back from a congestion levels to around where we were at the pre-COVID levels. And, and the third sort of issue for the container market, of course, is we're now starting to see some of the new buildings delivered from that record investment in 21 and to a certain extent last year as well. And it's the classic shipping story. You know, the ships, the new buildings come just at the wrong time when the world economy doesn't need them. Um, <laughs> so we have to be realistic about where we are. And, and I think most people would accept that the container market is going to have a period of low freight, you know, 18, 24 months, perhaps. The, the liner companies might be able to manage the freight side a little bit better with capacity yeah. management. Um, I think my general view is that I don't feel this is 2010 revisited for the container market. I don't no. see a long no. period of structural overcapacity. I think the demand side uh, for the container business, I think most people accept that growth rates are much more mature than they were in the past. And no. there are questions about globalization and reshoring of manufacturing. But I think one of the big differences is Yes, we have a largest order book. I think it's 28% of the fleet. It's not the 60% that we had a decade no, exactly. or so ago. Yeah. Um, but we also have these emissions policies coming. And in theory, a huge fleet renewal program. Uh, and we, I think like your organization, Jakob, have, have estimated 
you know, what percentage of the fleet would be D or E rated under CII, um, assuming recent trading patterns, and it's about a third of the fleet. So it pretty much balances with that order book. And I think one of the reasons why you've seen new building orders this year is that the liner companies themselves still see that need for fleet renewal. Um, and they see that need for fleet renewal to deal with the pressures and the urgency that they see to deal with the green transition and decarbonization. Yeah, exactly. um, I think there's a couple of other things that are interesting. Um, I think the fact that the liner companies uh, have bought a lot of S&P tonnage in particular, and some of that is older tonnage, um, yeah. the, uh, the older vessels that are not particularly fuel or emissions uh, relevant that I mentioned as well, and the possibility for the fleet to slow down. So look, it, it's, a, it's going to be a tough period, but as you said, the liner companies have very strong balance sheets, and I think are still, in my view, uh, very appropriately, still focused on the long-term fleet renewal and perhaps looking a little bit at shipbuilding capacity because so far the tanker and bulker uh, owners haven't ordered. The containers and the LNG have had a relatively clear run, but that may not be the case forever. So I think the liner companies are quite focused on, on that particular piece and potential requirements in markets like the feeder sector, Jakob. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned actually the green agenda and, and I think the container liners are the most exposed ones at this point. Not that anyone else is a stranger to decarbonization, but the containers are definitely leading the pack with the, the most of the tonnage being uh, ordered as dual fuel uh, ships, you know, predominantly, obviously, the gas and diesel. And that, that brings me into the last segment and particularly the LNG segment. You, you mentioned something about ships being delivered a little bit too early. And now I'm sort of looking at this market with this massive way of contracting in, in 2022 and all those new orders coming in absolutely phenomenal levels. And I cannot Stop by thinking about the, the last two booms we had around 2006 and 2012. We all remember those. And then in each and every instance, the ships obviously came a little bit too early before the real demand or the gas sort of, you know, was available in the market to be transported. Then my question to you is, is now, this time around, are we third time lucky or are we just betting again prematurely? Uh, well, you, you're right. I mean, the... Um... <laughs> The LNG hist uh, industry has a long history of the the project slipping and the shipyards delivering on time, and, and that's a, that's a long-standing uh, issue for the LNG market. Um, I, I think, in my view, a lot of the investment that's been made in the new building order book is is very much justified. Um, you know, we I think prior to the conflict, we're still positive about growth in LNG, its role in the energy transition, perhaps as a bridging fuel. We were tracking very closely a lot of the liquefaction and regasification projects and were, were pretty positive about the LNG growth potential. I think if you then add to energy transition, energy security, and we have like many others quantified the pipeline trade, um, we our projections suggest that the LNG trade will go from perhaps 400 million tons today up to between 600 and 700 million tons at the end of the decade. My view, and I think I'm quoted uh, on this, 
the ship LNG carriers as they can for the rest of the decade. Yes, the order book is up to 50% of the fleet almost, but there are projects coming, energy transition and energy security. And, and I'd throw in another statistic. There's a theme here, Jakob, as you know, we, we like our stats at Clarkson yeah, Research. Um, over uh, 30% of the current LNG yeah. fleet on the water is steam turbine. Steam turbines, exactly. Um, and I think a lot of it, LNG is a market actually where we've seen huge changes in propulsion and containment systems over the past 20 years. Um, great advancement in the fuel efficiency. They're you know, dealing increasingly with the challenges around methane slip. And those steam turbine vessels, you know, are significantly less uh, efficient. And there are very specific issues about how some of the IMO regulations may deal with those vessels. There's still a bit of uncertainty about what exactly those regulations will mean for those vessels. But um, I think there's a, there's, there's a range of reasons there that suggest that we, of course, you know, when a new building order book gets to 50% of the fleet, we need to sit up and take notice. But hopefully for some of the reasons I've mentioned, we can afford uh, to at least be um, uh, optimistic about the, the, the strong growth we're going to see in LNG this year. And, and certainly from a day rate perspective, we had some exceptional rates over the winter. When the market gets oh, yeah. that tight, you can get up to, in, in fact, we calculated that certainly for commodity shipping, record freight. Uh, paid uh, across all shipments, shipping segments for LNG. We're expecting another very strong winter as we go towards um, the end of this year, Jakob. So, um, you know, uh, I, I think um, some a, a very exciting market at the moment. I, I, I totally agree. I also look at those freights. You know, we were way over four hundred thousand dollars a day. And let's be honest, these are the freights you normally would associate with drill ships rather than any sort of normal merchant fleet. So that was. In fact, it was spectacular. And I also agree with you with the steam turbines, you know, the up to 30% of the fleet. And that fleet is now only deployed on the very short holes, on limited holes. So obviously it doesn't have enough flexibility to serve the new markets. And thus indeed will be replaced uh, sooner probably rather than later. Well, we're running almost out of time, but I, I, I really need to sort of ask about your crystal ball. You do forecast all the time. Absolutely brilliant. You, you most of the time spot on, of course. So what does your crystal ball tell us for 2023? We are fairly good on fundamentals. We are fairly optimistic, even in those markets which seem to be a little bit oversupplied. But on the flip side, we've got limited slot availability. We definitely have a higher cost of borrowing due to interest rates. We've got all those sort of headwinds. What is your take at the moment for 2023? Yeah, I, I think there's that, that split that we spoke about earlier, Jakob. I think energy shipping, you know, uh, gas, oil products, crude oil, and indeed offshore oil and gas and offshore wind. And the offshore oil and gas markets in particular, we think are quite well set for this year. I think you can afford to be optimistic that those markets will have good years. I think the containers, we have to be realistic about what their market is and what the prospects will be for this year. I put the dry a bit in the middle, and I think definitely opportunities to improve as the year goes on. But we have to watch the world economy and the role of China. I think one of the challenges with China is it's been locked down for nearly three years. It's a huge economy. It is a different economy from a decade ago. We just have to wait and see what will happen there. I, I think where we are um, you know, optimistic is around the structural supply side of shipping. You know, Relatively low order books, lower shipbuilding capacity, emissions policies and regulations coming. We see in the medium long term a increase in 
shipbuilding activity and new building investment. I think one of the really interesting challenges at the moment is new build versus retrofit. And does the investment go into new buildings where we have some of this uncertainty about the propulsion yeah. technology? Or do we also invest in retrofitting or operational me measures like slow steaming? So I think that's a really interesting debate that will move forward as we go through the year. I think the other thing that I'm really hoping for this year is more progress on the decarbonisation. You know, this is quite a significant step, the IMO regulations on EEXI and CII. In some ways, we're moving from the voluntary phase to the enforcement phase. We have the European Union with the ETS next year. Yeah. So I'm fully expecting a an acceleration of the decarbonisation policies. And they will impact the supply-demand trends in the market, as well as providing both opportunities and challenges for ship owners and broader stakeholders. So, um, you know, it's as always in shipping, um, there's opportunities and challenge, challenges, uh, Jakob, uh, I think would be fair. So if I say 1,300 vessels by the end of the year? Am I somewhere <laughs> next close to you? <laughs> um, I, I think uh, we think there will be more tankers ordered this year. Yeah. Uh, we think there will be still some container ships. Uh, and as we mentioned earlier, I think um, it, it, we don't see that stopping completely, but more reduced volumes. Um, we see LNG orders. We still see some car carrier orders. I think the bulk carrier orders may have to pick up a little bit as the year goes on. Um, so the, the yards are in a better position than they were three years ago. I mean, they're running a three and a half year forward order books, not two and a half year forward order books. And so that puts them in a slightly stronger position. Um, but of course, the, 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 the macroeconomic headwinds and the uncertainty around the propulsion piece, you know, are challenges for the, the shipyard. I, I think, although I think there's uh, there'll be good volumes this year. I think there'll be periods where it's a little bumpy for the yards. Yeah, that, I fully agree with you. Steve, we have to finish that episode. It's absolutely fascinating to talk to you, as always. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm sure our audience will learn a heck of a lot today. Thank you so much for joining and have a great day. Thank you, Jakob. Thank you for joining us for the first episode of Market Views from DNV. I hope it's given you a good idea of where we think the shipping market will go this year. Despite an economic downturn, in our view, shipping is well positioned to navigate through rough waters. I would like to once again thank my guest, Steve Gordon, Managing Director of Clarkson's Research, for joining me today for our discussion. Hopefully, we'll be hearing from him again in the future. There will be much more for us to discuss throughout the year, so Market Views will be back soon to take stock. If you want to hear more from us at DNV, you can find plenty of resources on our Maritime Impact online platform at dnv.com/mi. Thank you for watching, and we'll see you next time.